This is Hitting the Mark. Conversations with founders about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Geierhalter. So when I speak a lot of startups and I'm like, hey, but what is your what is your mission? Right? What is your mission? What is your values? What is the the thing that you are you know, standing against what is the the big vision that you're trying to to achieve? Uh, why did you start this business? You know, and um, and I think those are like core things that business needs to figure it out to be able to have a great branding experience. Because if you believe in them and if you can show them, your customer will too. And people connect to people; they don't connect to companies. So they need to have a human connection to your brand, and to be able to do so, you need to treat the brand like a human. This was Matteo Grassi, who went from breakdancing in Italy and New York City to traveling with a circus across Australia, then overseeing seven e-commerce brands and lately launching Pop-Up, a no-code online store building platform that provides flexibility in customers' journeys. All of this said, Matteo also holds a master's in psychology and he worked as a brand strategist. What do you get when you combine these life experiences and his education is someone who has a no BS approach to brand thinking and community building. And on today's episode, this is exactly what we dive into head first. While also learning about the strategy in which IKEA places mirrors in their stores, which I had no idea about, and how cross-border online sales should really look like. Talking about community, if you'd like to join the Hitting the Mark Circle, where we meet monthly to talk all things brand strategy, you'd be also doing your part in keeping this show advertising free. So head on over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark and join us. We currently have a few spots remaining. And now without further ado, over to my lovely conversation with Matteo. Welcome to the show, Matteo. Hey, welcome. Uh, really nice to be here. Oh, it's, uh, it's great having you. So you got introduced to me as a founder's journey from breakdancing, three failed businesses to 16 million in revenue. <laughs> well, yes. here you are, the, the co-founder of Pop-Up, uh, which is an e-commerce platform that claims to be reinventing the online store. So you went from acting and dancing professionally in New York City to raising three and a half million with just a pitch deck in your hands. Um, you also launched a mental health community for male founders in the process of it all. I don't even know where to begin. How about we begin at breakdancing? What was was that your first career? Was it or was it more of a hobby? Uh, it started as a way of not getting into trouble uh, in my council estate, uh, yeah. believe it or not. It's, it, it was uh, it was just, uh, I guess, boredom and, uh, you know, kids kids my age. I was like around 12 years old, so starting kind of getting into the wrong crowds, especially the era that I was living wasn't that, uh, let's say, nice. Um, some of my friends actually, they went to prison and and all of that. And, and so I think breakdancing was a way to me to kind of, uh, you know, just keeping keeping busy. Um, and one of the older guys was uh, kind of running a group there for, for the kids. 
Um, and that I started like literally street dancing, like properly in the streets, uh, you know, in shopping malls, etc. Yeah. And then when I was uh, 14, 15, I decided to actually uh, study dance properly. So I went to a school um, and started a kind of dancing like hip hop and modern dance. And I, and I got into more like, like, let's say, a more sophisticated way of dancing. And I was studying. I mean, I was doing high school. Then I got a psychology degree. So I was semi-professionally in the terms that I was paying for my study through like choreography and teaching other people to dance and I was doing competition, but uh, I never thought, oh, did, I, want, I want this to be my career. Hmm. Interesting. I think it's, I think it's interesting how, how breakdancing kind of for, for some, for, for some kids that was like the skateboarding, right? Um, it's like, yes. it, 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 it gives you something to hang on to. Um, I was, you know, I, I was having fun breakdancing too as a kid, but not like you, you know, like just kind of like a cardboard mat and, and off you go. It's also the, the easiest, the easiest entrance into anything to, to do, right? Because you, you have zero expense. You need nothing. You could just. Oh yeah, it's true. Yeah. That's the, I think was the, that's actually a very good point. I think that's why uh, for us kids was, uh, was really easy to do because that's it. You just literally need some music and, uh, we were just. Yeah, boombox. That's it. Yeah. Boombox yeah, in the yeah. shopping mall. You know, we didn't need anything. I had um, I had scheme uh, of of the rock steady crew. I had him on another show of mine where I talk music, um, and he 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 performed. You, you might have even performed to his breaks at some of the some of the battles. But oh, yeah. uh, it's it's super cool to kind of go back into that world and 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 you know how different it was. But hey, last last thing about music because I'm big into music. You're you're also a musician. Uh, you you're part of the duo Augustus and John, right? Yeah, Augustus was a was a project that started uh, um, I don't know a few few years back. I mean, my background is I come from an artistic background in terms of like I know how to read music, I know how to play music. My dad musician, my mom singer, so I grew up in a very musical family. Um, I never produced music per se uh, in my young age, and I started producing when I was like 32, 33 years old. Um, and um, I was passionate about technology, and I think the, how technology developed, it gave the ability to anyone with a laptop and very uh, basic, you know, uh, you know, devices. You can actually now be a full-on producer, right? Yeah. So I think the technology picked up, and then I I learned basically on my own. But I already had kind of a, a background into like music making or music uh, composing and things like this. And um, and yeah, we started we started producing with an idea like, hey, let's let's make an album, and we did. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. You had a few records. You even toured Europe uh, back in 2017, right? Yeah, we toured Europe. It, it went good. Um, it was never like, oh, let's make a career out of this as well. Uh, just because I didn't want to spoil uh, the joy that I had to make music in terms yeah. of like doing whatever I wanted. Um, and I really liked the live aspect to it. But then as the business started to pick up and I used to work like 12 to 14 hours a day in front of the computer, I could not produce music anymore for that reason. Because you're back on the computer, right? Because that's yes. what music is yeah. these days. Yeah. Because producing music is literally like 10% playing and 90% yeah. is uh, in front of a computer, just like, uh, you know, fixing things and, you know, you know just basically 
producing, but you're always in front of a screen. Exactly. And I remember finishing to work like, at, I don't know, whatever, 7, 6.30, and the last thing I wanted was like, oh my God, I have to sit again in front of my computer. And now, you know, that's, hmm. it, I, I do the same thing with a, with a friend of mine, and we have a production duo, and we don't do it professionally either. We just do it for fun, and we release it. And it's the same thing where once the weekend comes around and we've got a session planned, we're like, we just can't turn on the computer anymore. <laughs> like we just can't, which is so sad because music is something so different. But anyways, will, will there, so there will be no more music for you in the future with, with that duo or will you still be doing anything? No, I don't think with that duo anymore, but I think I will uh, try to go back to, to make music again once I can reduce my screen time with the, with the business. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully I'm going to be able to reduce screen time with the business and, you know, go back to do the well, rest of the music. I yeah. hope I hope that's true for you, and I hope it's true for us because I listened to um, I listened to Crosslines last night, which is one of your releases, and it it totally reminded me of Ellen and Oya and like some some really good stuff. Like I I I I love I love the work. So jump back into it, will you? Let's make sure that the that pop up is uh, is is run by others soon so that you can just kind of like, you know, like do the other things as well. Yeah, I don't know this. <laughs> it's hard, it's hard, it's hard to know what content creation is going to do. And I think if I go back to music, I will not produce anymore. I will just do live performances because I, music is getting lost, right? It's like, even like from when I produced Augustus and John to now, Oh my God, it's like, it's, th there is so many people making music and, and because of the accessibility to music creations with AI coming, yeah. it's going to be even more, right? So what's going to happen is there's going to be overloaded of uh, junk and in the middle of junk, maybe you're going to be able to find one good artist, but people are think are not going to listen to music anymore. Sorry, they're not going to listen to artists anymore. They're just going to listen to sounds and the sounds are produced maybe by AI, maybe by some real people. And I think the only connection is just going to be with uh, with the live music. So if I have to go back, I will just basically do live 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 performances. It is a very sad thing to say, and you couldn't be more more spot on with it. Um, it. It really seems like that's where it is heading. And I mean, that's also it's where the joy is is in live music. It's also where where a little bit of money is left for artists is live music, right? It, yes. it seems like that's the only place to go. Okay, well, thank you for entertaining me on the music front because that was important to me to 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 discuss this with you. But let's focus on pop up, right? What is yes. What is the void um, that Shopify and a few others uh, left, and you worked for Shopify at some point, yes. um, that your online store building platform is, is filling? Yeah, I don't think it's a, we haven't seen the void. I think we, we noticed that the e-commerce store blueprints, like these kind of homepage, product page, cart and a checkout, um, this structure of like, you know, this is the blueprint and then you pick a theme and you put it on this type of structure. Uh, it's it's been around for the last 30 years and nothing has changed that much. So we've been building online stores in the same way for the last 30 years. And uh, we all kind of use this type of blueprints. And if you think about like the way retail has been working for, for a long time, uh, retailers have always been able to control the customer journey, uh, you know, either through like changing the merchandising or maybe they create a floor for men, a floor for women, and then they move uh, the checkout in different angles. IKEA is very good. They actually place mirrors uh, in a certain way because they notice that if they're the right customers in certain paths, they can actually purchase more. So it's something that we always... I had no idea. I never heard that before. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we always been doing right like this. Like every store that you go to, they're not based on the same uh, architecture, right? They're the same planimetry. Uh, but in digital, we always use the same structure, right? You send people to the homepage, and then you go to the product page. Maybe they go to the checkout. And so it was like, what if we break this blueprint and we create a modular no-code approach where uh, almost like merchants can pick and choose what they want uh, in terms of like models in an online store, put them into a visual journey builder, which is like a flow builder, and then control and create customer journeys. And this is what we've been trying to do with Popup, kind of breaking the idea of this blueprint and just giving uh, parts and models that people need. But for sometimes, for some people, this blueprint is too limiting. Uh, meaning that they want to do more. For example, you know, you want to have, you want to do lead pages. You want to have dedicated landing pages for your uh, different customers. You want to have a link in bio. But for some people, they want to even do less. For example, like a creator, they just want to sell a product. They don't want a full online store. They just want a product page and a checkout. So some people that use QR codes, they just need the QR code and a checkout. They don't even need an online store. So that's where we come in. It was like it, 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 we fit around you, not the other way around. And so the way, so so this is this is this is fascinating, right? Because it's basically bringing the real world into the online experience, where where the online experience has been so like kind of beaten to death with data of this is the one way that it works. And that's why we're all doing it the one way now that you believe that there are, there are other ways where you can create a more sticky experience and hence actually increase sales depending on how people enter your, like your, your brand or product uh, universe. Yeah. It's not just like doing more sales. We noticed that uh, basically when you have when you become a merchant, you, you start and you you launch your store, you create your store, and then what happens is like you hit the plateau, and this is happens for every brand in every stage, right? Um, you hit a plateau where you have imagination and you want to do more, right? And you wanna maybe catch different trend waves, or you wanna try different traffic acquisition. You need to keep up with the ever changing consumer. Uh, buying patterns as well, right? Like a new platform comes in, maybe TikTok comes in, and now influencer collaboration are coming in, and something else is coming in. It's like the way people shop constantly changes, and the way you need to adapt is needs to be fast and efficient and without too much cost. The problem of this blueprint that Shopify has doesn't give merchants the opportunity to do adapt. Because every time they want to do something, they didn't have to you know, call the developer or they need to add an app and the app is not there. And then they have to maybe call another developer and you know, it becomes basically a nightmare too. And what happened to most merchants they just give up. They were like, mm -hmm. I know that I need to do this, but I cannot do it. I don't have the bandwidth to actually facing even uh, scoping a project like this. So what happened? You get stuck in the same old, same old. So on one end, the business suffer, one, but also it takes also an emotional toll to the founder because you get bored. It's just like you, you want to test new products, you want to test different approaches, and you want to kind of keep on having fun with your online store and your business. Um, and that's actually where we decided to come in because we, we actually built it for ourselves. We were experiencing this on a technical standpoint as merchants, but also we were experiencing like this on an emotional level. You know, we were like, yeah, we want to do influencer collaboration. We want to test native advertising. We want to do like a virtual experience, you know, or AR experience uh, within our store. But it's like we can't even think about to do any of these things because it's just going to take too much time and too much money. 
Yeah, it's uh, when when I launched my first uh, Shopify store last year, uh, I had no idea what I'm doing, um, and I'm and I'm jumping in, and and I'm like, oh, good. So I I have I have the base built, and then I'm like, oh, and then I just need this one little feature there, or that's an app. Yes. Oh, and then feature, it's an app, and yes. like suddenly you're like expense, 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 and build, 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 and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> I was. Yeah, it's true. It was very overwhelming. It's strong because the thing is like you don't need features, right? Merchants don't think about features. You just think about problems and things that you want to do. So this is like the, the approach that we've always been using. It's not about a feature war against Shopify. It's literally like, what is your imagination? What do you want to do? And then you build it. So you we, the, the platforms adapt around what you want. So you start thinking about I want to create a customer journey where I want my customer to enter in this link and then I wanted to see this and then I wanted to show them that, then I wanted to go to checkout. And while you design it in your head, you can actually use our visual journey builder to actually put it laying all out and then you can go in the front end, which is no code as well, and you can customize it and embellish it the way you want. Sounds super intriguing. So, sounds sounds really intriguing. Um, this this episode happens to be part two in a series of brand strategists who ended up on the other side running multiple D2C brands themselves. So on the episode before yours, I had a founder and brand marketer in the show, Suze uh, Dowling of Pattern Brands, and she oversees seven e-commerce portfolio companies. And oh, wow. here, here you were, until recently, overseeing seven e-commerce portfolio companies as well yeah, with, with oh, Viceroy, amazing. right? And so, yeah. and Pop-Up came out of Viceroy, correct? Tell us, tell us a little bit about Viceroy Group and what you were doing there and, and, and how, that, how that inspired most probably what you're doing with Pop-Up too. Yeah, I think uh, it inspired us because we we were merchants, right? And we were merchants that were trying to do a lot, you know. So we were selling in 150 countries. So there was all the cross-border commerce aspect to it. And then we were using like four or five different traffic acquisitions. So we we're doing Facebook, TikTok, native ads. We we're doing influencer collaborations. So in terms of the spectrum, like in terms of like our marketing initiative, the type of business, the initiative that we wanted to do, we were literally trying to test everything. And this has been, I think, our curse as well. Uh, and probably we should have done less, but you know, that's our spirit. It was our, you know, we're on fire and we wanted to grow and test and do a lot. Um, and this is where we came in, right? We were like, why is this so hard? Because we are the best people to do this. Like I'm at Shopify, <laughs> Corey is like Shopify. Kate, that was running the business with us, and she obviously joined us as well. It pop up. She's like Shopify. A lot of people were all like Shopify. So we were like, we <laughs> you stole know. half of Shopify's people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, had, we we know everything about commerce, right? Yeah. We had very successful businesses. Uh, Corey is a software engineer as well, so we were able to build our own thing. It was like, why things are so complicated? And we realized it was never the problem of us or the technical skills or the money or the time. It was literally this blueprint and the inability to create customer journeys. And this is where we started to think about maybe there is something that we can do better. Maybe this can be an app. And then and then we tested like click funnels, which is really kind of interesting way of building sales funnels, but it's more towards like courses and things like that. And so we kind of start merging the idea of like, hey, what if like there is a bit of click funnels, a bit of Shopify, but then you can arrange things like almost like in a Miro board and everything is modular like Notion. Um, and then, yeah, pop-up was born like this, like these combinations of uh, 
platforms that we liked in a in a new way of building building online stores. And this is why we're saying we're reinventing way people build online stores because when you build an online store on pop up, it's something that you never experienced before. Hmm. Um, yeah. And, and do you? Uh, well, that's it. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah, that's all. Um, do you do you already have? data on like how these journeys are performing versus just the typical you know Shopify store or like I'm sure I mean everything e-com is data centric right so I'm sure that you're yeah. looking into how how certain things are are performing yeah this is actually very interesting because um even though data tell us that the store is uh, performing good it's not necessarily performing better than Shopify because the 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 thing that makes us different is not that we are doing something that you know better than shopify it's literally we can do what shopify can do but more right so it's not that the brand was like hey i was running influencer collaboration on on shopify and now I'm running influencer collaboration on pop-up and on pop-up they're much better the brand comes to us is like i cannot run influencer collaboration and building customer journeys in shopify and i can do this in pop-up i see you know, I it's see. like, it's literally things that we're not able to do before, they're able to do it now. And we're not talking about like crazy things. We're talking about very simple type of things, like literally basic customer journeys can be like, I want to send my, I'll give you an example. Like I want to send my customer to a page. It's a lead capture. I want to input all their details and then i give them like a lead magnet let's say an ebook and after that i want to show them some products i want to send them to a checkout after a check i want to send them upsell and maybe because they're an influencer i want to redirect them back to their youtube page mm -hmm. now this is not a really really strange use case but you cannot do this with shopify today i see like literally even though you add the uh, four or five apps you can you, you can't you either code coded in and have like a headless approach where you know you you are literally trying to basically code it but you can't do it no code fascinating and there's, there's also this codependency on app makers which i don't quite like because it always feels like what if what if they stop the app or what if like something goes wrong or like this this codependency which it seems like with pop-up there is none because it's really it's more it's again it's more about creating your own universe than being yes. codependent with like 50 other creators yeah, the other thing as well to to remind is data fragmentation because the thing is like if you're using five different apps and one is for an upsell, one is the checkout of Shopify, then one is the landing page builder like Shogun, you already have three different apps, the customers are landing in three different applications, your data is fragmented. So with pop-up, not only you're building a customer journey, but the data is going to be integrated within the journey builder. So you can actually gonna be able to have the visual data in front of you and see how your customer are moving, moving through the journey. Let's talk, let's talk about cross-border because I heard yes. I heard an interview with you uh, on one of your uh, one of the podcasts you were on, uh, mm -hmm. where you talked about cross-border selling on D2C is actually much more complex than people think. They think they can just change the the um the currency and that's it, right? But I'm I'm intrigued by that, right? Like you talked about, there's a huge market in Germany, there's a huge market in Brazil, et cetera, et cetera. What what from from your point of view, um, and made it be already branding branding related, but made also be just um, you know usability uh, related. Like how how do you feel people go differently through an online experience in in different countries? Is it really such a stark uh, different preference 
by people? I don't know. Maybe we can actually, like, you're from Austria, right? Yeah. And uh, I think uh, if you assume I'm going to create a store for Germans and a store for, and uh, the German store is going to encompass, like, uh, part of Switzerland, Austria, and Germany, yeah, it can really, it, it could work. But you as an Austrian are going to go in a German store and think it is a German store. This is not an Austrian store. <laughs> yeah, right? most because, probably. Yeah, most probably. Yeah, because the, the German is going to be a little bit different. And then there's going to be some festivities that you're not going to leverage. Mm -hmm. You know, the, like small difference like this. Like English, for example, Australian, UK or American. You mm -hmm. know, it's like the English changes, the festivities changes. And my experience is that if you really want to do cross-border, even if you're a company from the UK, when you launch a store, and it's an Austrian store. The people from Austria need to see this. And it's like, oh my God, this is like a, an Austrian business. Like this, this guy are, you know, this is like full on localized, right? They don't even think about this is a foreign company behind it unless they obviously go at the bottom and read it. But most, most business don't do that. You know, they don't, sorry, most customers don't go and check where the company, where the company is. Uh, conversion rate really improves when you can actually give that local experience to a granular level, like a different one to an American or to an Austrian versus a German, right? For example, and, and to that's, do that, you need to have different stores, right? And so the different stores is that is that based is is that part of how pop up sees journeys? Is that basically a journey or is that a different store? Yeah, so there's two things. It's like we build pop-up in a way that you can actually manage multiple stores under one admin as well. So you can have multiple journeys inside a store, but if you want to do like localization, then what you do, you want to create different stores. Mm -hmm. the, the, the thing is like with Shopify, if you want to have 10 different stores, there are 10 different accounts, and it, it, you don't have an integrated view of all your stores, and you can access all your store under one admin. Literally, you have 10 different businesses, right. 10 different admins, and, and it's really messy to, you know, to, to manage. Uh, with us, it's, um, it's, all in, it's all in one admin. So it's, uh, you can actually have multiple stores under one admin, and every store is independent. So you can have like a different checkout, different language, different currency, different front-end, uh, different banners, um, whatever you want. Different payment gateways as well, because payment gateway is a big one too. Uh, different countries have different methods of payments. Yeah, I, in Germany, all they use is PayPal, right? There's nothing else. <laughs> yeah, there's PayPal, but you have Sofort as well, which is in, you know, it's a very European thing, uh, you know, huh. like bank transfer. While, for example, in Brazil, they don't even have Stripe. They have Boleto, which is kind of a way that you pay through the post office, for example. I know. Cash. I, I was I it was amazing. I um I ordered a a record the other day from uh, from Germany and you know and I just hit submit and I'm like great I totally forgot that I, I didn't even go through the credit card thing yet because it's just everything online is just like oh good you got it and then a day next the next day I get a I get a PDF um attachment in an email that almost went to spam that says here are your instructions for payment. Please send it to so and so. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. shocking. Um, well, as I as I um, uh, said to you before we hit record today, um, there's so many topics. Each one of them could be an episode in its own um, because because of your various backgrounds and it, it's really fascinating. But with 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 pop up, what what I think is interesting. It's it, I personally find B two B companies fascinating from a brand opportunity perspective, right? Because everyone's talking D 2 C and B 2 C and everyone, everything can be shiny, but you are a B 2 B company. I mean, even though, 
you know, on paper, even though you're really catering to entrepreneurs, so it gets personal very quickly, right? Like your, mm -hmm. your, your audience is really, you know, a lot of, a lot of solopreneurs or founders, co-founders. Um, I am interested to hear with your background um, in, in B2C brand strategy, because you actually were a brand strategist, um, as well as with you having an, a master's in psychology, how has that knowledge and that journey informed um, how you went about the branding and the voice of, of pop-up? Like, how much does all of this psychology and the, and the brand strategy play a role in your in in your in your latest venture or does it no it does definitely because to me i never made a difference between uh, i thought there was a difference between b2b and b2c and then i realized it wasn't so b2c <laughs> people to I people mean, right <laughs> yeah exactly i mean b2c you're selling to people b2b you're selling to people that works for a business so you're still selling to people right so it's like uh it's uh and when you sell to people, you need to understand their problems. And uh, you also need to understand that they don't really care about your products. Uh, they don't really care about what you do. They just care about their problems and how you're going to solve them. Right. And uh, I think my experience in branding allowed, allowed me to allow us actually to position pop up, not just like an e commerce platform, but the, the company for entrepreneurs. Right. And, and this is where you need to elevate your brands to a point that people don't really buy the solution that you're offering. They don't really buy the fact that you are an e-commerce platform. They buy into uh, who you are as a company as well and the way you go about approaching, uh, about solving their problems. And for you as a company, I mean, I would say that that community is crucial, right? That's one of the big that that's not the product but that's what you what you offer as part of the brand yes and i think we started the community because i think there's been a big shift in uh in marketing in the last uh i don't know i would say in the last two or three years especially since uh rising cost in acquisition we moved from like a product customer community so you find a product you find some customers and then those customers become a community almost like the opposite. Like you build a community, within the community you find your customers, and then after you find your customer, then you build a great product. And this is where I recommend as well a lot of like people that want to start selling online. I'm telling them, it's not like it used to be. Don't even think about the product. Think about building a community first. Once you build a community, you can monetize it very, very easily. A lot of people make the mistake of like, hey, let's start a business, let's pick a product, let's launch a site, and then they're like, okay, well, no one is coming to buy it for me, right? And yeah. now you can't even buy traffic profitably anymore. So it's not like four or five years ago that, you know, maybe six years ago that you can just like start and launch ads on Facebook and monetize it straight away. I don't think Facebook is as bad as it used to be in 2021, but still the, the CPM and the cost, you know, the cost of advertising is, is going so, so high. So for us, building a community was always important for tourism. First, uh, trying to get uh, people around um, pop-up and around entrepreneurship because also we noticed that no matter what stage you are in your business, having a community that supports you and as a journey as an entrepreneur, loneliness is a big issue. Mm -hmm. So having a community that can actually uh, be there for you and also help each other, that was super important for us. Well, and I mean, you need people to tell you what you should build too in the beginning, right? I mean, you need you need to get immediate yes. feedback. So the community is 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 a focus group in a sense too. Um, 
I think it's interesting when 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 you were younger. Um, I I read um, that you traveled with a circus across Australia for a, a pretty you know a pretty significant amount of time, like half a year ago. Mm -hmm. um, and and today, community is so important for pop up. I mean, there's nothing that's more communal than a traveling circus, right? I mean, it's like, maybe I put the two, like maybe I just forced the two together. But but to me, it seems like this idea um, of, of commune, and you, you also lived in a commune at some point in your life when it was, uh, you, you know, when you hit the darker, darker time, right? Um, is there community building in the in the offline world right and being part of a community where you depend on each other um versus community building online are you merging the two in a way where you feel like you do it differently than others like maybe it's a little bit more personal or like like how do you how do you bring some of that um that really very people focused approach into a, a digital platform yeah, I think if uh, if you want to build, a, if for anyone out there that wants to build a community, the key is like make sure that the members in the community have the same uh, something in common, uh, right? Maybe the same problems, they're going through the same things, and the more specific you you can be, the better it is. Um, so I felt that a lot in every community that I joined, both online and offline, when people are going through the same problems and the same trouble, there is a sense of camaraderie and the sense of like belonging together because you feel like you're fighting the same battle, right? I think as humans as well, we're very polarizing, right? There's not, if you want to bring people together, you need to find an enemy. And this is why, you know, like people like Donald Trump was very, very successful. And a lot of people that followed his, his, uh, his, uh, his path were able to create uh, a lot of uh, cults and, you know, just bringing people together. How? You just find an enemy. Uh, my wife is Ukrainian as well. I can I saw what happened with the war as well. It's like the the, the Ukrainians went so together more than ever just because yeah. there was an enemy outside. So an enemy is not necessarily a bad thing, right? I right. think if you want to build the community, you can find an enemy. For example, that uh, it's uh, you know I'm fighting against for us. It's fighting against the rigidity of the e-commerce platform. I mean, mm -hmm. we're not necessarily it's an enemy that is destroying the world but you know you bring people together for something that is more than just like oh yeah you know i just meet some people and we have we have uh, we have fun together it's there is the value the values that you share a belief that you share and there's nothing stronger that uh, finding uh, something to fight against that is so important um I, I mean, what, what you just said is so so extremely extremely important. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad that you shared that, and it really came right out of your life story, right? Where 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 you learned that, um, and you know something that I want to want to talk for a second about is I saw on your Instagram feed, um, and now you know it makes even more sense um, that you you were part of or you did um, a, a documentary about entrepreneurship uh, in, in Ukraine uh, do, during the war. Um, and I, I, saw, I saw a trailer or a first part and it looked absolutely amazingly produced and fascinating. Is that something that's out there? Is that something that, that is still being produced? Yeah, I mean, we produced the first part and we still have to edit the second part. Uh, everything has been shot. Uh, it's just we need to release the second part of the documentary. But we released the first part, so the first 20 minutes uh, they've been released. And we did other few documentaries as well during the year. But uh, pop-up took, we, we had to kind of, 
let's change change the direction a little bit because uh the the market change you know as well so we kind of had to focus more on growth yeah. uh, rather than um, you know branding and image and things like that and i think like the documentaries and everything that we're doing on the terms of like brand image and brand marketing is really really good but sometimes you know as a, as a business brand marketing is you can do it if you're not really focusing on onboarding customer on growth if you have breathing space but as the market crunched and you know the the finances in general of every company started to kind of struggle sure. we had to kind of set a different i think tone as well uh on the outside and concentrate more on like direct uh sales and direct marketing that results in direct signups and uh, tangible results uh, because branding is a long term right it's a long term game and sometimes you have to play the short term game absolutely absolutely that's that's how that's how it works um did you we talked about data before did you ever go against um early customer data that 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 you received um may it be with pop up or any of of the other ventures that you were you were part of or overseeing and you you just did a gutsy move and you just went totally against the data and said you know what my instinct tells me even though the data says one thing, I believe we should try that and go into the complete other thing. Or is pop-up itself basically that? <laughs> Where Shopify says one thing and you say, go this way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, I never went against the data, I, but I, I, whenever I didn't have the data, I went with my gut feeling. And I think early stage, you just go in your gut feeling. And I think it's, it's as simple as like, you have an hypothesis, but you have to make sure that to demonstrate that hypothesis, that is demonstrated by data. And I think when you raise capital, every funding round needs to demonstrate an hypothesis. What is your hypothesis? That's the question that you have to ask. And then what is the data that will validate or invalidate mm -hmm. the hypothesis that I'm having? Makes sense. Makes total sense. Yeah. Um, what was it ginormous brand feel <laughs> that you went through with with pop up or, or or any of the other brands? Did you did you do anything or or or, or your team or an outside agency where afterwards you were like, oh boy, <laughs> we totally missed the mark on that. I always love learning from failures, um, and since this is a brand podcast, it's interesting to see. Do did you go through anything where you feel like someone can learn something from it? Yeah, I think uh, we pop up not yet, but when we were in Viceroy, not yet. I think <laughs> not, yeah, not yet, <laughs> not yet. But uh, I think we, when we were in Viceroy, we 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 did scale too quickly. Uh, we didn't think about the consequences of uh, blitz scaling and uh, making a lot of money in a very short amount of time. And uh, having go back, I would have chosen a steady growth rather than uh, a unsteady and hyper growth in a very short amount of time mm -hmm. yeah that basically caused paypal to block about 800 dollars of our in our bank account that was about 80 percent of our equity uh, at the time operating cash um that uh, caused a lot of issues like a big time issues yeah and they blocked it they blocked it just because we we grew too quickly yeah, yeah, which, which, which seemed, which seemed to have been um, a face that all of Silicon Valley and everyone talking about entrepreneurship, like you know, five years ago or so, went through. Right? It's all about growth, 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 quick, 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 speed, speed, speed. And I think yeah. it's kind of like returning a little bit more to normal. Yeah, but we were bootstrapped, so we could do whatever we want. It wasn't the investor were pressure mm. enough, right? It was just like 
I mean, your mind is like, well, things are working. Why do I have to stop? You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> of course, push, I push, you know, you push until you, you know, you push, but it was fun. I mean, I guess. <laughs> like, like everything in life, right? Like one thing yeah, like to another, you learn from it. Um, what does, again, coming from brand strategy early on in your career, and, and then you went through so many, you know, like, like so many companies that you built and tried and like different creative spaces that you, you, you were in. What does this often misunderstood word and term branding mean to you today? You know, where you, where you run pop up and you create these communities and you, and you yeah. see, what does it mean to you? I think there is a big misconception on branding that uh, is reductive to um, colors, typography, design elements, tone of voice, and all of that. I think people think like branding as that or just that. And I think there needs to be a step back in terms of like, who, what are your values? What is the purpose? What are you fighting against? Um, if if your brand was a person, what a person would be? What where where would they hang out? You know, it's like where where the like all entering more in the psychology of the brand, and and just after that you can think about the colors and the typography and etc. But there's haven't been I think a lot of uh, branding work, or there are some good obviously branding agencies that do that, but I haven't seen much of that. Uh, so when I speak a lot of startups, and I'm like, hey, but what is your what is your mission, right? What is your mission? What is your values? What is the the thing that you are, you know, standing against. What is the the big vision that you're trying to to achieve? Uh, why did you start this business? You know, and um, and I think those are like core things that business needs to figure it out to be able to have a great branding experience. Because if you sh if you believe in them and if you can show them, your customer will too. And people connect to people; they don't connect to companies. So they need to have a human connection to your brand. And to be able to do so, you need to treat the brand like a human. Exactly. Yeah, you, you you have to make it personal, and and that's how. It, and I I can't agree more with you. I actually I I ran an I ran a brand agency um for for a good amount of years. I guess I guess it was like twelve years. Um, you know, up to sixteen employees with freelancers and the whole thing. And then I literally closed it from one day to another, and I I ended up being completely brand strategy focused, and I just do these one day workshops with founders to define what is bigger than your product. <laughs> and it's like literally that's yeah. all I do. Like, I mean, I I still do some of the other brand work too, right? Because it's fun and it's exciting. But really, like these, I, I do these workshops now pretty much once a week um, around the world, and it is so liberating for startup founders to suddenly say, oh my God, like finally we actually have clarity and, and we, we can focus again and we know what we're about. And so I, it, it provides me with a lot of joy doing this because I can just see everyone is just suddenly seeing the world with like color again. And it was like all black and white product, product, product. So yeah, I, love, right? I love hearing that from you. That's, that's great. That's great. Um, if you... If if there would only be one word um, or maybe two words that you could, and now we're going into the branding world all the way. Um, now now I have you. <laughs> um, what is what is what is one or one or two words that you could describe the pop up as a uh, the pop up um, you know venture as a as a brand? Um, you know when you think about uh, you know Coca Cola, they want you to think about happiness, right? Everlane, they want you to think radical transparency. What is pop up in a word or two? Flexibility. Flexibility. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I believe that uh, 
to survive in this world, you need to be flexible because the world is constantly changing and you need to adapt. And uh, sometimes it's not about being right. It's about, uh, you know, just trying to adapt to, to the ever-changing uh, world that we are in, you know, in terms of technology and uh, like even what's happening with AI just like so quickly, right? Yeah, it's just like the world is turned upside down in the last two months. Yeah. So it's now adapt or die, you know, adapt. We need to constantly adapt. Uh, we're we're going to need to adapt to the environment as well. Who knows the consequences that m not may maybe me, but my daughter will need to know. So on a, on a human level, I think flexibility is really important. But I think when we built Papa, we thought about flexibility and we thought about there is not a blueprint to success, right? It's like success is whatever that means to you. So you need to have a flexible idea as well of whatever success means and everyone is different and uh, platforms technology needs to adapt to our needs and not the other way around. I love that. And I, I love how in the beginning when you said flexibility, I was a little bit dumbfounded. I'm like, oh, flexibility, that seems very product focused, but it totally isn't. It is exactly how you build the community because they are with you because you have the shared enemy, right? Which is which is something that's not flexible. <laughs> which is it. so yeah. really flexibility is and, and that's how you build your community too, to talk about adapt or die, right? And and like how yeah. everything constantly changes and you have each other's back. Yeah, it's a flexible mindset as well. Like rigidity is not just in technology. You know, I see a lot of rigid approach in, in teaching. People come in and say, hey, this is the right way to do things, you know? People mm -hmm. always use the word or. It's either you choose this or this. And to me, it's like, why you have to do this or? Why it can just be and? Why there can be two things, you know? <laughs> it's like, why can't just be more relaxed? And even like in, in you know, if we talk about like uh, being gender fluid and everything that is happening in the LGBTQ community as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like we are moving into this world where unless you are flexible and Gen Z knows this very, very well, you're not going to go far in business and in life. Mm -hmm. Anyways, my two cents. <laughs> How can people follow you personally or or get to know pop up and uh, and all the other all the other ventures that you're currently creating and will create in the future? I have a domain called mateowastaken.com <laughs> and that's <laughs> it. <laughs> because uh, because and it goes into a link tree. So if you and uh, on the link tree there are you know the projects that have been uh, that I've been following. Mateo um, was taken. That's awesome. Yeah, Mateo was taken. Or like on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, I'm very active. This is the kind of the platform that I'm most active. Cool. Perfect. Well, I encourage everyone to um, to follow what uh, what Mateo is is is, is up to. Um, Good stuff. We I could I could talk for for hours more on a lot Thanks. of these different <laughs> these different subjects. But hey, um, I appreciate you hopping on. I know life is uh, life is busy right now with everything going on. Um, thank thank you for being here and thank you for for sharing um, sharing your your journey and all the knowledge with my with my followers. No worries. It was a pleasure. The crisscross zigzag journey of Matteo Grassi and the knowledge that came out of it. Absolutely fascinating. I hope you liked it as well. Um, if so, please do subscribe, rate, and share the show with the one person that you think should have listened to it with you. Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy, Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode was edited by Everett Barton, and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time, when we once again will be hitting the mark.